Well, let's thank the Lord. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. It's last Sunday of the year. We'd ask that you would use the, the quality of our minds that makes these time categories so important to us to draw us into a place that we need to be, each one of us with your son. And in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, I was, I was thinking about the New Year's Eve party. And as I mentioned to you, at the end of the New Year's Eve party, we put on some CD with the with Handel's Messiah on it, skip to the front part where it's singing the Hallelujah Chorus and turn it up as loud as our system can go, and then we sing along with it. So it was on my mind. I was uh, left to my own devices yesterday, and I went upstairs and watched, you know, channel surfed a little bit, and found myself, you know, I don't want to be judged for this, but on, on public TV. And uh, it was a documentary on Handel's Messiah. I want to warn you, it was not a bad documentary, it was acted out, dramatized, you know, Handel running around the streets of, of London. I think it was done by the LDS Church. There was that aspect. Because they're really big on Handel's Messiah, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And you could tell the people they were interviewing were Mormons. And uh, uh, they had good things to say, but, you know, it's like, okay, weird. But I learned some things about Handel's Messiah. One was that he had, uh, the libretto was written by a guy named Jennings, I think, or something like that. He didn't have to, he compiled the scriptures that appear throughout, it's all scripture in, in Handel's Messiah, and, and he arranged it into a uh, singable thing that then Handel writes the music for in 24 dang days. Okay? 24 days. What are you going to do with your next? I'm going to make some New Year's resolutions. It's not one of them, is it? Writing a Messiah in 24 days. It all worked out. He was, his career was saved. He made a lot of friends afterwards. And since mid-1700s, it, it, it has never wavered from its standing. Now, we love it as Christians. One is Bible, and it's meaningful and heavy at certain points. He was despised, stricken of God. Um, and then you get to the end, and the Hallelujah Chorus. And you kind of wish that the, the, the Messiah was like a soundtrack to your own life, so that each day as you strode into your bathroom to get ready for bed, the choir was singing the Hallelujah Chorus because what a great job you did today. And sometimes, tragically, we as Christians think um, that we needed Handel to feel this. Now, I'm a big proponent of the arts. I believe they can do in a lot of things, but I... You wouldn't want to think that you're 
best beloved would have only way they could feel they loved you was if someone like Mel Torme sang a love song really touchingly every time your spouse looked at you and so they would oh yeah I do feel something if you had to have the music to feel something well the wonderful thing about Janet, Charles Jennings um, collection into the libretto was his handling of the text to phrases that were, those of you who have sung uh, the Messiah before, are familiar with certain phrasings. There aren't many in the Hallelujah Chorus. It says Hallelujah a lot. But really, that comes only from Revelation chapter 19. And what we're doing this morning... is stepping, using the music and our memory of it and the importance that that gives us to try to say, this is just a shoddy Japanese knockoff of what it is to be in Christ. What the history of the world was at the hands of God and his Christ. Now, in I don't know your view of the book of Revelation. I have one. I shared it this summer in our summer Bible study in the backyard. You had to be there private conversation, I'll tell you what I think. It's probably not what you think. I'm not really concerned with that. But at a certain point in the Revelation of St. John, chapter 11, right here at the top of the left-hand side, right-hand side, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is at the end of the two woes. Two woes, there are three. Two woes have passed. The third woe was yet to come. And this is the inaugural statement of the third woe. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, and you'll recognize this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. You go, oh yeah, I sang that last New Year's at the Wilson's. The kingdom of the world had become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. What, the, the, the phrasing is so good. Now, that's maybe English minds thinking about English, you know, rhythms. What well, I hope in uh, our lives is that never again will you be able to hear the Hallelujah Chorus. I don't care if it's an elevator. I don't care if it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing it. Without you being dragged back to this passage, because you can't escape what they are actually saying. It's actually the quote of loud voices in heaven announcing something ultimately inaugural, like it's the beginning of the Lord's reign. Right? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The end of the world, not the end of the world like the end of the world, the end of the world's rule, the coming of our God and his Christ rule, and it doesn't have a terminus, it does not have an end. 
Now, those of you who have put up with me for a long time know that I have certain hobby horses I ride, and one of them is uh, picking up from Lewis on the nature of hierarchy, the nature of rule. Lewis bemoans the fact in the modern age we're all about leadership. You know, you just got to be a servant leader. Now, being a servant is great, but rule is what God has put rulers in place to do. And his Lord, his Christ, has a kingdom, and that kingdom has him reign in it forever. He rules it. We, we talk about the word sovereign, right? We get, that means they're ruling. You know what a rule is? I'm in charge here. It's like when you and your siblings were sent to the video store back in the days when people went to video stores. And got, your dad said, son, I want you to be the final choice on the movie. And you lord that over your fellow siblings. They can make suggestions, but you know, really? You've got the choice, and you accept rights. We know what rule is. We don't have to, don't have to think about it. It's command and control. It's reward and punishment. I've said frequently that the idea, at least in Roman minds, was the imperium. And imperium was the authority to execute, the authority to punish. Uh, by, a, say, a proconsul or something like that. They were given imperium. And how much imperium was imaged by how many lictors they had who were imminently well-named. Because lictors carried the bundle of rods, the fasces, that the magistrate, the, the council, would then have them shuck their group of... a bunch of broom handles for the posse to beat you into a jelly. They had an axe bound up in the center of it, and so that was for execution, and a group of broom handles to knock you end over apex. That's the nature of power, that's the nature of rule. The ability to reward, the ability to punish. And that's what we are, you might say, encountering. Whatever you believe about Revelation 11, where that occurs in history, if it's still a futurism for you, if it's a preterist, past tense thing for you, I'm a preterist. I believe this is the coming of the Christ the first time. Because the child is born in the next paragraph that the, that the dragon tries to kill. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And you're just singing that with a hundred other people, and it's just rattling your bones, but you're saying something for more intense than just a good feeling. Ever go to Broadway? I'm not a big Broadway fan, but I, I imagine some of you are. They're always stirring songs on Broadway. That's probably the problem with Broadway. It's so bourgeois. They're going to stir you. Ah, oh, I feel it. Well, you get to this point in the Messiah, it's like that. You know, you get, oh my goodness. Am I feeling it because of the Music, am I feeling it because my Lord and my Christ have taken reign? Because that's what you're saying. 
That's why you're singing hallelujah repeatedly. It's praising Yah, the God. And look how he describes it. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones, their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God. I want you to watch the responsiveness in the vision. The 24 elders, we don't know who they are, fall on their face saying, We give thanks to thee, Lord God Almighty, who art and who wast, that thou hast taken thy great power and begun to reign. And God always had the power. He had granted the rule to all sorts of agencies up to this point, And he has taken the reign. The nations raged, but thy wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged, for rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear thy name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Look at what they're praising God for being. The, the, the angelic voice steps forward and says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And the 24 elders say, you betcha, we thank you for that. That this reign has begun and we're measuring it in his judgment and in his rewarding and in his destroying. You got that imperium aspect? The judgment is given when it says that in the Gospel of John. All judgment given to the Son. We sometimes forget how important the judgment is and how it deserves, again, the, the passage that the Hallelujah Chorus comes out of is this is the beginning of it, or is a certain phrase of it, but it comes primarily out of chapter 19 of Revelation on God's judgment of the earth. And that's what the 24 elders are going, yeah, this is good. His judgment, because judgment would come first when he talks about the Gentile who does not know what the law of God requires, you know, They'll be judged according to that which they have done. Whether it be good or evil, their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them. We know that judgment measures things out. The Holy Spirit has come to the earth to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remember St. Paul arguing with Felix, the proconsul, when he was in prison over, what was it? Um... Justice, um, self-control, and future judgment. And Felix got a little disturbed and said, let's not talk anymore. Because no one likes to talk about justice, self-control, and future judgment. But we are Christians. We have seen our Lord and Christ take the rule. Take the judgment, and we're throwing our crowns down before him, basically, as one of these elders saying, the judgment, the rewarding, because the reward thy servants, the prophets, and those who fear thy name, both small and great, the rewarding and the destroying. 
Now, I don't, I don't want to put homework on you or anything. And I know that I've been around Christian circles long enough and read enough Christian books that are about the book of Revelation that I don't want to encourage you to go into that world. It's a dangerous, slipshod world of many ideas. And, but at the same time, these are phrases we can't use until we know what the story is suggesting to you. Where is this landing? Is Evan right that it's the first coming of the Christ? Or the dispensationalist right that it's the end times? But, you know, come to some decisions because when you're singing the Hallelujah Chorus, one of the basic things you are feeling is absolute confidence. You are not just confident, you are insistent. When you are telling someone that the kingdom of your Lord and Christ has come and they shall reign forever and ever, you are saying it without, it was not a suggestion, not a, I don't know if this is going to happen, I sure hope. No, it's saying it confidently. And unless you are just singing it because you like Broadway, I would encourage you to stop singing it. But if you're singing it because you're a Christian, you're probably going to need to spend a little time in the book of the Apocalypse of St. John to know what part of the story, like with the 24 elders, what's my reaction? What's, what am I supposed to feel? What is the confidence we give thanks at some point for the judgment, for the rewarding, for the destroying. Now chapter 19, that goes into the section, you know, after um, that and 11, the next, uh, where is it? That was right at the end of chapter 11. Then the woman with the child in chapter 12, the dragon, the archangel Michael, the beast, it's all the, all the really cool stuff, you know. But the, the action really kicks in for the third woe. By the time you get to chapter 19, what has been introduced, the, the whore of Babylon and all the rest, um, the Lord has taken care of some business. And I heard, verse 1 of chapter 19, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried, hallelujah. The smoke of her goes up forever and ever. Uh, I don't know if you ever sing choruses. I know some of you do in some of your background. My daughter is a worship leader in her church in Portland. Hallelujah, the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. Because Babylon, the whore, is a city. He tells you that in the, in the book. This is the falling of the great city, Babylon, and the lowering of the new Jerusalem from heaven in this story. But hallelujah, the smoke of her 
Now, we have a storyline that we're grasping after, we're trying to understand. It's not an easy book to get into, not an easy book to start putting your thoughts together on, but you don't just want to let some unbelieving choir of people who have musical talent singing a song that gives you a feel-good, and that's about it. That the insistence, the power of the scriptures sung at you with insistence and confidence, and all you can do is go, as I frequently say, clasp your pudgy hands together and, and be wrapped in the moment musically. You're not here to be wrapped musically. Be wrapped musically after you have been in Christ, in God, the way you ought to be. And the 24 elders, remember them? Verse 4. And the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Basically, truly, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice crying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying. Now I want you to think of that portion of the Messiah, because that's what it gives you. It almost, you could almost do it with 20 voices. It sounds like glory. And you get a hundred voices, even more glory. This is, all of the images are these loud voices in heaven. A great, the sound of a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And then verse 6, seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And I think um, Jennings used the omnipotent, reigneth. You know the phrase. It's in what you say. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the omnipotent, reigneth. Sometimes, you know, as somebody was asking me a while back, you know, I, you know they like our little church because we sing hymns and you get to sing better music and better lyrics, but, uh, you know, it's not that, you know, it's not the Lord receives all gifts from his people. But there's some people who just don't sing at all. They asked me, who's one of these gentlemen who was asking me if it was okay. I said, well, yeah, but don't you think you probably want to check your pulse as to whether or not you really actually feel what you have been given. And you might still know when you feel what you've been given that no one wants to hear you bleat out the Lord's praises off pitch. But that's all you can do. Do something. Sing to yourself in the shower the praises of God because you don't want to offend anyone else. That's great. But sing. The hallelujah. When my sister is in town, she's up from Pasadena, you usually can get one hallelujah out of her during the sermon. Um, she does not restrain herself. Let us rejoice and exult 
and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Oh, that's us. This is our, look at how you're told to feel. It's hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the omnipotent, reigneth. And I'm supposed to be thinking words about how do I express what I'm rejoicing and exulting in? How do I give him glory? <coughs> it was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. Now this, it's all, all these images. You know, you're saying, well, there's so, so many metaphors, so many images of things. Well, sometimes it tells you what the image is. The bride, we know, is the church, because he tells you in the book it's the church. Christ is the groom, the church is the bride. And here the bride, the marriage of the lamb, all that's involved in, it's been 2,000 years going on of what the gospel has produced in people, whatever true Christians are. And it was granted that his bride be clothed in fine linen. What's that a symbol for, Evan? Oh, it just says in the next phrase. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Ah, it's helpful where they tell you what it means. And that the church is not only, you know, we could, you know, I don't know how many bass players here. Get a good bass line going up here and you know, somebody playing drums and and Ed could, you know, we did, remember when we had the choir years ago, Pat, uh, Patsy Heineman uh, was here and we had, that's like a gospel, Leslie did a gospel number, and we're mostly white here, folks, but we didn't do a great job, but you know what a gospel number is like? I've been to black churches back on the East Coast, and man, we're singing hymns, yes, but we're not singing hymns. They knew how to they knew how to do it. They exulted, they rejoiced, but however you're going to put it out, the Lord will accept the praises of an Anglo-Saxon in their simple, restrained, stoic uh, precision, playing something nice and baroque. But we can't just offer that. We can't just work ourselves up, whatever it is, Anglo-Saxon, you know, restraint or, or ethnic exuberance. Neither is good enough. Neither is what the Lord wants. He is, he is seeing the fine linen. The grant to us to dress us in fine linen as his church is in the righteous deeds. That's what we that's what we're offering to him. Not just lots of hallelujahs. The angel, verse 9, said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, in my family newsletter, I have a little story that Michael and Leslie and I flew to Michigan sometime during the year. When was that? October. October. For a niece's wedding. Two days out of town. 
back we came. Now, I make the comment that the invitation that came to us in the mail had gotten past what I call the disregard of dudes. You get a wedding invitation, guys just go, what? Trash. Who wants to go to a wedding? But the women got a hold of it. Michael got a copy. Leslie saw the message. And it was our, hey, let's do this. Let's go. Now, I might not care for human being weddings, but I'm supposed to care for this one. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because something, you can only say something historic. This is, this is the center of history. Now, from my viewpoint on the apocalypse, this is the inaugural moment of the coming of his Lord and Christ. He has stepped into the world. He is going to die. He's going to take a bride. He is going to reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clad in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. I think John, I mean, he's, he's in the midst of pretty crazy things. So confusedly crazy that he finds himself falling down in front of the angel to worship him. The angel is much wiser than John. Don't do that. You worship God. But are we doing that? Are we, are we finding ourselves almost religiously satisfied that maybe one time a year we play through the Messiah on our stereo and we worship the thing that is far less than the thing it points at. Because we worship only as far as the music will take us. We're impressed with Handel. Seems like he was a good man, decent fellow. Just like the angel said, hey, Think in terms of the Messiah, the musical piece, as the angel who brought you the word of God. Don't worship it. The word of God is him, Christ himself. And there's a number of things here that I just want to remind you of in this whole couple passages we've looked at. The word of God has come. The angel said the word of God um, is announced to us. 
And then that first verse back in chapter 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And then it reminds you in verse 7 or 6 of chapter 19, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And here at the end, the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's another part of the chorus. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, repeated with hallelujahs. But did you notice that your Christ, the Word of God, has really seized power? You know when it says he ruled the nations with a rod of iron? That's out of Psalm 2. Prophecy out of Psalm 2. It's repeated in a few times here in Revelation. A rod of iron. That's like the Imperium uh, broomsticks. That you have a, I remember seeing a scene recently of Clint Eastwood and Pale Rider uh, beating up the bad guys with an axe handle. And one of the axe handles breaks. This you can always hope is one of the broomsticks that the lictors are using will break. You'll feel better. But then somebody shows up. He says, I've got some rods and they're all of iron. We're going to hit you with metal rods. That's the impression. That's the intensity of the rule of Christ. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. The things that we have... I want you to go back. First off, you don't have to develop a fine theory of revelation. Just look at this, these two passages and say, what is my Christianity declaring in this? Just emotionally. Do I believe that emotion is right for my Lord? Do I believe that the content, that he is here to judge, to reward, to destroy? Is he king of kings? Is he lord of lords? Are you going to say hallelujah? Or did you just like the song? You know, is it, where are you on And that's all I can suggest for you for a new year, I guess, as a, you know, one of the, you've heard me go on for many, many, probably years now, that my basic assessment of our sinfulness is our love for ourselves. We want to obey ourselves. And uh, God's over there going, um, I am a God, you're not a God. I actually made the universe, I know how it works, I will tell you how to do things. And we go, no, 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 I got this. And we ruin our lives. See how important it is for you to think of your Lord and his Christ reigning forever and ever. How important is it for you to say amen, hallelujah, to that concept? Because you have some choices about kingship. The, one of the hidey holes you can put the kingship of our Lord is a great work of art from the 1700s. Got that covered. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is king. Let's just close the cupboard doors. Like we just put away 
uh, Oh Holy Night. Okay? It's, a, it's a carol. I like the carol. But we, we could just put that away. We'll put that in the cupboard and not sing that again for a year. Because Lord knows. We don't want to remind it. What's that phrase in the song? Fall on your knees. Is that, is that that song? I'll hear the angels' voices. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a religion that you're either living in or it's a set of devices we use to make us think that I have enough of that religion covered by Handel, enough of that religion covered by certain carols, enough of that religion about little rituals I might do rather than the worship of the living God, rather than when the Lord speaks, it's like thunder and you fall on your knees and only before him, and you see his judgment, and his reward, and his destruction. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that you have come to reign in the world that you've made. Help your people, who are small, of no account, of not great status, We'd ask that you would have your people at least bow their knees and cry hallelujah. In your son's name we pray. Amen.